proceedings. I will do that on behalf of people here. First of all, some of the language that gets used in these kinds of dialogue, uh, some of the language that you used in particular, um, makes me a little bit concerned. One, the buffalo did not vanish. They were systematically wiped out in order to suck. issues. You mentioned something about in 1968 when you first came into Canada, um, there were very few First Nations people in universities. That's true. But there's a reason behind that. Many of us were still on the reserve, still in residential schools. I bet you if I was to ask the people in this room, the First Nations people, how many of you are residential school survivors? They can stand up. How many of you are children of residential school survivors? They will stand up. How many of you are grandchildren of residential school survivors? They will stand up. Everybody in this room will stand up. And the reason why we weren't in universities back then was because many of our children were being tortured, raped, abused in those residential schools. So then we're expected to come out of those schools and we're expected to become like the rest of Canada, without special status, without special rights, we are expected to come out here and function. When, as a as a child from the age of three, you're put in the school, you're not told to, you're told not to speak your language. There's stories of very remote communities in northern British Columbia, who, and this is these were documented stories of survivors who, when they spoke their language, a pin was put through their tongue so they would not speak their language. So we come out of here and we're expected to be like the rest of Canada. And, and my dad said, who was, a, who was a survivor of residential school, he said he was groomed perfectly for the jail system. He said the only difference between residential school and a jail is I didn't have to pray in jail. <laughs> that was the reality, right? So, and then I guess just one last thing you said, and I, and I appreciate you saying this. You said, yes, there are changes that need to happen with the Indian Act. And we all agree with that. And you said you don't know how. Well, we do. Today, there are many educated people in our communities, and not just educated in the Western schools. I'm a PhD student.
Uh, just consider this thought. What if we already know the answers, but we just have not been given a voice in this country to share those with the rest of the I'd, I'd like to add to that. I've been here for 30 years towards the Aboriginal Canada. And uh, I'm a settler of Canada, as you are, and I support I own no more. I just want to let you know, I've heard what you had to say. It, it is true, we need to overhaul the union. But it's going to be at our terms. My ancestor was a warrior and a buffalo hunter. And, and we're proof that we're still here. We're not going away. In 1877, the we didn't know each other's language, but now we do. It is, it's our time. Our time is now to make our decisions, what is right for us. We don't need judges. We don't need politics to dictate our, our way of life and our, our future. So I believe this is our time. This is our time. This is our time. Remember, we're all in this together, people. I'm a member of I Don't Know More. My wife is sitting right beside me. We're going out, we're telling people, this is how we should do things. This is not, what is going on with our, our history and First Nations is not working. So I believe this is our time. We all have a voice here. So if we, stick, if we pull together, we can make change and remember that. We have a voice. We don't have someone to be dictating what we should do on our own lands. We were here from time immemorial. We are still here. We are going away. everyone, the University of Lethbridge, to the Bloods, thank you for allowing me on your territory. To the professors, to Professor Flanagan, to the hosts of this gathering, to each and every one of you as colleagues. My name is Quetzaltatl, Patricia Kelly. I stand before you to let you know that we're looking at the scariest policy writer and developer that Canada has seen since 1969. And, and he, along with Von Gertzen, have taken the time to be key advisors to Prime Minister Harper. This man is evil to the indigenous people. He is anti-idol no more. Why do we not have a person of your caliber equal, equal, having a debate about what kind of policies that you've been driving, Mr. Flanagan? Why do we not have in opposition to your life's work, what you have done to diminish and to demean and to limit. This has got to stop. Our people have suffered long enough.
is dark and we need light. I will no more is about bringing light to ourselves. We have voices, we have scribes, we have writers, we have voices. The world is looking at us. Federation case as 
but uh, I haven't been really working as a consultant uh, in litigation now for, uh, uh, as I dated, but certainly not for a number of years. Um, and yes, I got paid for it. Uh, you know, it's a job. They hired me to do historical research. And uh, I got paid for it, but not, a, not the kinds of figures that Patricia Kelly would suggest. Uh, in relation to Mr. Harper, uh, I was his, uh, I, I've known Steve for a long time. I went back to the reform party days when we worked together. And then um, I became his campaign manager when he saw the leadership of the Canadian Alliance. Uh, as it wasn't, uh, it was an odd story. And uh, he had hired a team of professional campaigners in the fall of 2001 when he saw the leadership. It wasn't working. And um, I was sort of an advisor. I called him and said, Stephen, it's not working. He said, yeah, it's not working. Got to fire all these people. And uh, I said, uh, well, I'll manage the campaign for you. That was easy enough. I never managed the campaign before. I never even worked on a campaign, but I, I believe in learning by doing it. So I became a campaign manager by accident. So I was uh, worked closely with Mr. Harper in political campaigning for uh, um, about five years. But in that period of time, uh, we did not have a single conversation about Aboriginal policy. I was campaign manager. My job was to uh, raise money and hire people and create organizations and do contracts with advertisers and people and like that. I was, uh, I was not a policy advisor. He never asked, never asked me my opinions on Aboriginal affairs. Maybe read my books, I don't know. But uh, we, we never discussed it. So the things that the government has done uh, since he's been in power, some of, them, some of them I agree with, some of them I don't. But um, I've, not, I've not had any role in, in bringing it about. So it's just, uh, and, as, and as far as, uh, you know, I'm here tonight. It's not a debate. Uh, I was invited to speak by an organization. If they had invited me to debate, I would have come down for a debate. Uh, go where I'm asked to go. And... Um, People want to hire me to give advice or do research for them. I'll, I'll consider the offer. Hello. Um, okay, Tony Dr. Geisbach. Um, I, I a little bit of preamble. I'm not going to go on, but I've been trying to listen to you with all honesty. I've been trying to get a picture of who you are as you know your uh, academics, but you are just like, however, nothing more than a government official that is trying to implement your policies and your ideologies that's looking beyond the genocide that First Nations people faced across Canada, also the assimilation policies that are still currently in place, and the oppression that has become from this, from this being one of the most racist places in Canada that uh, you're sitting here now. Um, so I came across a statement that you made that kind of relates you to the same approach that the residential schools have came, these, uh, the church and the government. Um, your statement you made to the Manitoban during November 2009 in regards to the hurried legislation regarding child pornography. Tom Flanagan, you stated, quote, but that's actually another interesting debate or seminar. What's wrong with child pornography in the sense that it's just pictures? But I'm not here to debate that today, unquote. That's what you stated. And my question is, and you can even answer because you even just said it yourself, how does abolishing the Indian Act and implementing the Land Privatization Act supposed to fix your so-called Indian problem? But you couldn't even answer that yourself. So I don't know what with all those books you came up with, 
where they really ended up. And I'm not sure if you ever heard with uh, all the rumors heard playing, is it really true you are the father of the IKEA monkey? Yes. <laughs> Uh, initiative. 